0: Welcome to OTP number 10, coming to you from St. Thomas, Sports Park. My name is Mike Heath, joined once again by Amy Wells.
1: Hello, Mike.
0: Hello, Amy, and the great Jim Wyatt from TitansOnline.com. Hello, Mike and Amy. It is good to have you with us, Jim Wyatt. Glad to be on. All right, so uh, lots to cover, lots of football to cover. Let's start with the four draft picks have numbers. Do you Woo-hoo! know the number? People like to know the numbers, right? Yes. Luke Falk, 11. Dane Crookshank, 29. Rashawn Evans, 54. Her- Harold Landry, 58. Sounds good to me. All right, so we've gotten that out of the. People like to know that. Yeah,
2: Kalfani Muhammad did not keep the 29 long. No, he did not. Yeah, he switched uh, from... 28 last year, 28 got to, to 29, 29, and yeah. now Dane has uh, got it as as uh, Calfani is on the market. No longer with us. Calfani
0: Muhammad, one of three players cut on Monday, including Alex Tanny, the quarterback, who was number 11, and also uh, Johnny Maxi, a defensive lineman who was on the team for a very short time in December, re-signed in the offseason, but... Uh, Waived on Monday. So those are some changes. Two new players, two veteran players joined the roster. Uh, Jamil President, who's a former Auburn Tiger. He's an outside linebacker, played last year with Houston. He's a big outside linebacker, kind of that Derek Morgan 6'4", 270, 275. Do you know much about President
2: yet? Not much yet, uh, but I expect him to come in in a position that you know, certainly needs depth and uh, get a chance to contribute on special teams, try to make this team as uh, – as an outside backer. Also, at the safety
0: position, a veteran, Kendrick Lewis, who did a tryout last week during the voluntary minicamp. He has been signed, and Denzel Johnson is gone, so he provides some real experience. This will be his eighth year out of Ole Miss.
1: It's a good opportunity to get a little bit more of a veteran presence on this team and in that room, so and he's, played,
0: he's played for Dean Pease, too. He's
2: played for Dean Pease and played with... Mike Vrabel.
1: Isn't that a weird dynamic? In Kansas City, he did. In Kansas City
2: in 2010, which is crazy. It shows you how young our coach is and also shows you how long he's been in the league.
0: Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I had no idea. I I
2: didn't have an idea until somebody mentioned it to me a little bit earlier. We were out here on the practice field watching the the soldiers here from Fort Campbell going through drills, and uh, that's a good piece of trivia. All
0: right, so the soldiers going through drills from Fort Campbell How did they look in the drills? How would you assess their performance?
2: I don't think anyone is going to make the roster. It's kind of uh, on a trial basis, but these guys certainly look like they could do a great job defending our country, which is the most important thing. Uh, and, And John Robinson said himself, they'll catch the football, take care of the football, and they'll let these men and women protect our country, which they do so well, and that's uh, the toughest job of all.
1: I trust them with my safety and livelihood way more than I trust them to score a touchdown. Okay, well, that's fair. (laughs) Both of you very diplomatic. Well, you know, you don't want (laughs) to anger the military. Speaking of kickoffs,
0: uh, the special meeting going on in New York, the player safety meeting, some things apparently going to be proposed about the kickoff because Rich McKay from the competition committee said there were 71 total concussions in the last three seasons on kickoffs. At least one-third of those involved the wedge. Judy Batista tweeting that out. And so they're talking about eliminating the two-man wedge and the running start for the kicking team. Normally, those guys take off running. They hit the line of scrimmage just as the kicker hits the ball. Now they will have to begin... If this is approved from a standing start, the return team will have only three deep players allowed. The idea is that more people would run side-by-side side on kickoffs and sort of eliminate a variety of the collisions. Amy Wells, you have a furrowed brow. What is your reaction to these proposed changes to the kickoff? By the way, it would have to be approved at the spring, the spring league meeting in Atlanta May 21st through the 23rd.
1: It doesn't seem to me just from a numbers and positioning standpoint that it's going to limit collisions and guys running into each other. They just get to each other a little bit sooner, right? Or later. Oh, yeah. But I mean, either way, you're still going to have the same number of people directly running into each other.
2: I wonder if eventually, I mean, eventually we're going to get to where the kickoff's eliminated. I mean, the more things uh, like this and the more talk about player safety, I'm all for player safety. Uh, The only bad thing is this, you know, you potentially could have guys who make the team based on how they perform on special teams, how they perform in these situations. Obviously you're still going to be able to cover punts. You have guys who are valuable as gunners and, and doing things in other aspects, but, uh, Player safety, uh, more and more as, as we go, is number one in the minds of uh, the people at the NFL. And you know, we've watched Pro Bowls where there's not a kickoff. We watched uh, we've we've seen it in other uh, leagues. I wonder if it's coming one day.
1: By eliminating the running start for the kickoff team, are guys starting behind the line of scrimmage? They'll have the to start
2: slightly behind
0: the line of scrimmage. I guess five yards.
1: Would that not be a disadvantage? Well, it
0: it is to a certain extent. They're not going to have the running start, but they're obviously still going to be running full speed. They just won't have the head start. Huh. But I think what you're going to see is you're still going to have 60 plus percent of the kickoffs go for touchbacks. Right. Yeah. Aren't we putting a band-aid on something that needs surgery? I I mean, listen, I think football is going to be different without the kickoff, but it's coming. We, yep. The kickoff, and Mark Murphy from the Green Bay Packers said it. He said, the kickoff is on a short leash. Why not go ahead? I, I don't want to watch 60% touchbacks. I'm not interested in that. That's boring. That's like watching the intentional walk in baseball, which they finally did away with to, to help speed things up or they've done away with on some levels of baseball. I, I think we're just, we're just dancing around it now.
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I see what you're saying, and I do think we're getting there. Uh, you know, there is, you know, you know, a, a kickoff that results in a team starting inside the 10 or the 5 changes a game, and if you can perfect, you know, kind of one of those pooch kicks where guys can't handle it and the guy, defense can go down there and the coverage team go down there and make a play, I mean, that can be a big game changer. Nothing more exciting, you know, probably than – Uh, returning a kick for a touchdown. I mean, that's one of the more exciting plays in football. But But we don't see it. Eight times a year in the NFL, and now we're seeing we're going
0: through games where it's just, okay, we line up, and some young guy with a big leg drives it through the uprights, and and everybody's like, okay. I mean, why waste the time lining up? Why not just put the ball on the 25, and let's be done with it? Let's just say – because here's the thing that gets me about it. And I don't mean to go on a soapbox, but...
1: Here it comes anyway.
0: Here it comes anyway. So they tell us there were 71 concussions on kickoffs in the last three years. They say you're five times more likely to get a, to get a concussion on a kickoff. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Really? I, I mean, like, that's, like, that comes as a huge shocker. I'm stunned by almost the fake surprise. Anybody who's ever covered a kickoff in their life, or who has run back a kickoff, knows you are going to get whacked and can often have it happen from, you know, angles where you don't see people. You're, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it is hard work. Is it better without the wedge? Probably so. But you're if you're talking about player safety, which is what we're discussing, and this is the most dangerous play in the game, that, and, and we're, we've changed it to where we're doing everything we can to not have – an actual kickoff return. That's what they're setting yep. up. Yeah. Then, then why not just cut out the middleman? Pull the plug, and let's get on with it. I, that, to me, while I don't want to see it, at the same time, if player safety is the big issue, then let's go ahead and do
1: it. Well, here's the thing. The two big things that the league is talking about right now is player safety, obviously. Right? Sure, they should be. And speeding up the game. Exactly. Ta-da! I found one. Well, It'll it, make the game go faster. Right. We can get to the good stuff anyway. How many people go to the bathroom or refill their nachos during a playoff, or a special teams play? Well,
0: to take your point, it used to be that way with the extra point. The yeah. extra point was automatic. And now they've made the extra point more interesting. So you've got a special teams play that has taken on more importance. I think you're at a point right now where you could, where you could pull this out. now. Granted, you need to find something to replace the onside kick. And that, because you, what you don't
1: want. Unless well, you're the Titans, in which case you want nothing to do with any of that. Well,
0: I get it. But <laughs> nice. It's true. But, but the point is, you don't, one of the great things about the NFL is how many times teams can come back from two scores down in the last five minutes because of an onside kick. So there needs to be some sort of play where the team that is trailing, if they pull within one score, has an option to convert a play and get the ball back. The NFL doesn't want to lose that. I get it.
2: What would that look like, though? Well,
0: there's some talk about do you have a fourth and ten play from your own 35, and if you convert it, you get to keep the ball. If you don't, the other team takes over on your 35-yard line.
2: You kind know, of like a make it, take it? A make it, take it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's, a make, it, it's a to convert it, to keep the ball, you've got to make it. But just like what we used to play in the backyard with make yep. it, take it.
1: Huh. That's interesting. Well, the,
0: the first guy who ever really suggested something like that was Greg Schiano, when he was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And at the time, people thought it was just wacky.
2: Yeah, and it sounds wacky to me, too. I mean, you know, you talk about putting the defense at a disadvantage. Let's say an offense trying to come back has a 15-play you know, drive that takes seven minutes off the clock in the last couple of minutes, and then you're faced with one of those scenarios, and you've got a defense that's gassed. You know, it you know, puts them in a pretty tough spot, and you're the team that's built the lead. So I'd have a hard time getting on board with that one.
0: I guess I just don't like all the amendments that we're putting on. Yeah. Either yeah. I, I'm a person that's kinda like do it or not do it.
2: Yeah, it's coming one day. I hate to I mean in some ways I hate to see the kickoff, you know, not a part of the game anymore. You know, I think we ought to let, you know, Lorenzo Neal, Frank Wojciech, and Kevin Dyson vote on that. Which way do you think I, they'd vote.
0: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And I, and listen, and I totally understand where everybody's coming from on that, but as the player safety discussion takes hold, it's not going away. Nor should it go away. The game today is much safer than it was 20 years ago. Thank goodness. And as the concern for this improves, and, you know, the figure comes out that you're more likely to, much more likely to get a concussion because people think it's just the ball carrier. They don't realize because most people watch the football. Yes. And so they don't realize some of the full-speed licks that you have going on away from the football, and those are the guys that get the concussions. It's not generally the kick returner.
2: Yeah. Oh, those are brutal. I mean, at least the wedge part of it. You know, back in the day, you know, you had four or five guys line up on the wedge, and you have guys running full speed that just launched themselves into those guys. Well, when
0: you went to Ryan... You you knew guys who were the wedge buster on the on the high school yeah. team, and then there's the wedge but and generally the wedge buster was a guy who didn't care much about his safety long term. Nope. <laughs> Thank goodness you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, that
2: was that was very
0: dangerous. Ooh. Because I mean, your job was to go in and try to clean those guys out with a cross body block or yeah. whatever it took.
2: Like trying to knock down bowling pins. Exactly. Yeah,
0: that's a hundred percent. Okay, well we could go on, but. May the 21st through the 23rd in Atlanta, something's going to be decided about.
2: That. That's a big day. It's also the same owners' meetings uh, where we'll find out where the two thousand nine, nineteen, and 2020 NFL drafts will be.
0: All right, so yep. let's start there. You both went to Arlington, AT&T Stadium, the draft. Best part of the scene or the setup there at the draft that's being declared a huge success? What worked best in Arlington last weekend while you were there?
1: Oh, gosh, there were so many things that were good. I really enjoyed that it was all in one stadium. Everything, every part of it was in one concise area. So you got to see the fans. You got to see the season ticket members that were down on the field. Everybody was in the same space, and it was awesome.
2: Yeah, and uh, I've still got blisters on the back of my heels. Uh, I was bleeding through my socks at the end of the night in Dallas because it's such a huge space. And that's one thing that's tough to replicate because the parking lots are huge. The stadium's huge. Had NFL experience there. They had ESPN, had a stage set up. NFL Network had a stage set up. Uh, areas for fans to, you know, to, just to kind of hang out and enjoy the festivities. It was just surrounded the stadium. It was remarkable. And, you know, Amy and I have been to the ones in Chicago and Philadelphia where they were more spread out. Uh, you know, the, Dallas had a, you know, had a great setup just because of where they are. And then inside the place, it's just mammoth. And what'd they say? 20, 25,000 inside. Yep. Uh, it was a great atmosphere there. Uh, no, from from every from a logistics standpoint, Dallas was a great place to have it. Uh, but you had to walk a lot. Can Nashville replicate the success? I know they can't do it
0: the same way that Arlington did it, but can they replicate the success if Nashville gets it?
2: I think so. I mean, it would look different. I mean, it would be it wouldn't be a setup s- similar to Dallas just because it would be impossible to have everything surrounding it in the way that Dallas did, but you could have Uh, A heck of a spectacle on Broadway, Uh, you could use, uh, you know, across the river, uh, the stadium. A Cine Amphitheater, I imagine, uh, would be in use. You know, I don't know. Again, I'm just speaking uh, off the cuff here. I wonder if places like Ryman or some other venues around the downtown area would be able to house some. Uh, events you've got the area behind the stage closer to the riverfront when you have a cma concert all that area is used uh, for events and probably up and down you know first avenue behind uh, the the string of, of restaurant and bars on second avenue imagine all that space could be used so you could get a lot of people in a tight area because we've seen it before you know whether it's fourth of july events or the cma's uh, but it would look different. I think it would look awesome, especially if you've taken some of these venues that overlook Broadway and have people on the rooftops watching this. it would be a it would be a party
1: It would be different than it would be in any other city because this city is designed for things to all kind of funnel into one area. It's not like Philadelphia that is a just a giant city, so they could really spread out around the whole thing. We have a very walkable, very concise area that we can get a lot of stuff into. So
0: you're saying in some ways,
1: better. It's better. Oh, absolutely, I think it's better. I think that fans can get the whole event in one concise area that's super walkable, super easy to get to, and you're seeing some of the best parts of Nashville at the same time.
0: So what's Nashville's challenge? What have they had to sell to this committee to hopefully get one of the next two drafts?
1: I wonder if weather is a factor. I'm wondering if, because it would question. have to be outside. It just would have to be. And it's a crapshoot with something like that. I mean, if it's raining, there's a lot of stuff that you've got to throw covers over. And, I mean, in Dallas, most of everything was inside except for the NFL experience stuff. Um, here it would all have to be outside. In Philadelphia, it was outside, which was kind of a crapshoot, and it was beautiful. The day of the draft, it was like in the 80s for some reason. Um, but I think that that's something that is going to have to be accounted for.
2: I think April 4th, uh, if my memory is right, that's the uniform unveiled date. Is that right? It was- I think April 4th is a selling point you know, for this city and uh, for this franchise because of what that looked like, how well that went off. Now, there's more to the NFL draft and what happened that night where the uniforms were unveiled and Florida Georgia line played afterward. Uh, But I think just the success of that event uh, would, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to beat. I mean, some of these other cities that are in the competition, you know, great cities, uh, uh, but I think Nashville is unique in how they could pull this off. And it would be, I mean, you know, with all of the music and the, the bar scene and everything that goes on downtown, People love to go to the draft, mm-hmm. and we saw you know, groups of people from every fan base that were there, not only for the inner circle that was inside of the stadium, but you know, just throughout the week. People would flock to Nashville uh, if, if this event could be held here. Could
0: it put us over the top if we promised to make everybody not boo Roger Goodell? <laughs> no. I
1: mean, it would with the league, but that would never fly with fans. <laughs> people lo- <laughs> people love it. it.
2: Yeah, I think that people love it. he people lo- was
1: in Dallas. In Dallas, I couldn't hear him. I was in well, the stadium you, while you, he was talking. We talked
0: about it beforehand, and I asked you how you thought it would be, and I mean, it was so much worse than Philadelphia. Yeah. And they're professional booers, as we know, but it was so much worse. It was
1: like – It was reverberating off of everything. Wow. So he's speaking in the room over the loudspeakers in an NFL stadium. The boos were so loud. I couldn't hear it. I wish there were subtitles on the screen because I had no clue what this guy was saying because everyone was booing him so loud. It was nuts.
2: I booed more than the Redskins when the Redskins <laughs> made their pick. You know, there were a lot of boos, but he, was, uh, he, he had more uh, boos directed at him than the Redskins pick.
0: What about David Akers? He, so Last year, Drew Pearson in Philadelphia went after the Philly fans with a taunt. David Akers, I think, got him back on behalf of Philadelphia. <laughs>
2: Holy smokes. Yeah, it's funny. There a lot of people that stepped up there and took some shots at the Cowboys. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah.
0: But, uh, but that's fun.
2: Yes, it is fun.
0: To, I mean, just for part of it, like what Drew Pearson did last year, I thought that was fun.
2: Yes. Yeah, it's a, fu- it's a fun event. Uh, people would, Nashville would, would love it if it happened here.
0: All right, so Rashawn Evans backstage. Amy Wells, what was that like?
1: Oh, gosh, it was great. He was so excited. His family was there, and the way that it was set up, you kind of had the back half of the football field was kind of the backstage area. So everybody's running around, taking pictures. They've got their tighten-up draft day hats, which I think are so cool, and just bananas running around the back half of this football field. I mean, they had a real solid area to celebrate But talking to him, he was so excited, and he was just so happy to be a Titan. And you could tell that he was just blown away that it actually happened.
2: Did this guy – did you ride the cart with him? I did, and that was was not planned. That was lucky. Uh, I came down from the third level, which is where I was located. And uh, I'd already talked to Jared Puffer, who's with the uh, media relations team, who is always at the draft and handles the player. And he pretty much said, hey, if you want to crack at him, because Amy was scheduled to talk to him with Ashley Farrell – uh, and and I knew that once the pick was made, I've got to write something, get it up on the site before I can head that way. He goes, hey, you, if you don't make it down uh, in time, you're going to miss them. But I had to, you know, my job to be there is to, is to try to get something on the site as quick as possible. So I wrote something, hustled down, and right at the time I turned the corner, here comes Sean Evans walking down the hallway. It just got lucky, and he was getting on the cart. A couple of seats were taken in the back, a couple of seats were taken in the front. Rashawn got in the middle. I jumped on the seat with him and uh, and just got really fortunate as he kind of made his way down uh, to I guess what they call the car wash mm-hmm. and uh, and then as I was sitting there with them, Derek Henry is calling him on the phone. He's accepting a Facetime call from Derek Henry. How so, cool is that? So just uh, got lucky. Turned my you know turned my video player on and kind of got that interaction between the two of them where they you could tell how genuinely fired up they were to be teammates again and then. Uh, I know just a lot of people commenting how great it it looked for him to be so excited to be a part of this organization and to be uh, coming to the Titans. It was it was pretty cool. He may have been the
0: happiest guy I've ever seen. You could have told him to take a swig of castor oil <laughs> and, and he'd have done it because he was just pumped.
1: Oh, he was so fired up. I will never ever forget asking why he's excited to be a Titan, and he goes, "Well, you know, there's no income tax." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was like. Of course, thinking about the business (laughs) within the first 10 minutes.
0: (laughs) Speaking of crazy, you guys get to do all the fun things. You went on the Titans Caravan stop on Tuesday. Florence, Alabama was the focus. Academy Sports and Outdoors, our friends at WQLT Radio, and Nick Martin, our main guy down there, uh, has been so great to us for for so long. And the stop with Derrick Henry was Crazy. The craziest one you've seen in five years? Anything close?
1: I would say I'd put it in the top three. It was absolutely bananas. There was a stop at Fort Campbell last year with Marcus Mariota. The head coach was there. The general manager was there. And there were people that were just wrapped around the entire area. Someone ended up pulling the fire alarm. We had to leave early. So then the next place we went was crazy. That was bananas. The stop in Florence, Alabama – was it was the craziest academy stop I've ever seen ever. It was there were people that were threaded through every aisle going all the way from the front to the back of the store. And they were just happy to be there. He walked through and the place erupted like Michael Jordan just walked through. It was it was crazy. There was no place to stand. You couldn't get anywhere. We all just like picked a spot and hung out for an hour.
2: if I heard roll Todd one time I heard it a thousand uh, times because uh, everybody wanted to say Roll Tide to him as they got an autograph or got a picture taken with him. He signed, you know, Sports Illustrateds and helmets and jerseys and a big wooden A he signed the back of a baby uh, uh, and it had something <laughs> That's happen. That's you know it's big. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and had something happen. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Amy's been on a lot more caravan stops than I have, but uh, had a, one overzealous fan jumped on his lap. Uh, to get a picture, and she also got a, a smooch out of it. You know, when it, it, she she kissed him on the cheek and neck, and uh, Derek handled it pretty well. But she was pretty fired up to see Derek Henry.
1: Oh, she went into the kill. She <laughs> she was gonna get every second yeah. out of that she was so excited but it's cool to see people that fired she up she was about fired these guys. up but and I
2: imagine you know Josh Klein was there one of his offensive linemen he probably had to hear about it why he wasn't protecting him uh, any better <laughs> than he was but had Wesley Woodruff sitting next to him kind of kind of uh egging it on yeah
0: it's good stuff oh, in gosh. terms of fan recognition right now Marcus Mariota Derek Henry both Heisman Trophy winners they are probably the two most recognizable guys, the two players that people get most excited about since who?
2: Who would you say? Since, I mean, Steve McNair and Eddie George, that one-two punch at quarterback running back. We've had some stars here. I mean, Vince Young was a recognizable guy, uh, but who'd you pair with them during that stretch? Lindo White, obviously, Chris Johnson. You know, Vince Young and Chris Johnson, but I don't know if they still had the same star power that these two guys have uh, you know, now they've got to go out and do the things that Steve McNair and Eddie George did, which could take it to a whole other level. And that's to get this team into AFC Championship games and get them into Super Bowls.
1: The thing about the two of them is they're still young enough to where they're pulling in the college crowd. You know, people sure. still remember Marcus Mariota winning the Heisman that run that they
0: He's had. He's a duck. Yeah, yeah.
1: They still obviously remember Derrick Henry and his Heisman campaign and how amazing Alabama is, you know, and so we're bringing those people in. With Marcus, we've got people in different states that go bananas over him. So it's just such a far-reaching fan base right now because you're getting the college and the professional Well, like
0: Shout out to our California Titans fans who are Mm -hmm. incredibly tight, and I know they listen to the OTP, and we appreciate it. They love Marcus Mariota. Oh yeah, because he's their Pac-12 guy, mm-hmm. and so that Pac- that West Coast Pac-12. Tw- there's so many different tie-ins with Marcus.
1: Yeah, and everybody in Hawaii that oh. I know listens, and it's it's yeah. crazy.
2: Other countries? Yeah, it is. It is amazing, and part of it's because of where he came from and what a big star uh, that he was in college. But part of it's just because of the the kind of guy he is and how people see how genuine he is. How how, how uh, the way he treats people. Uh, he's just an easy guy to root for. I would be interested to know if that stop
0: compares. I still consider the biggest caravan stop 2000 at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in Knoxville. We had Steve McNair and Javon Kirst in 2000. Oh, wow. And Javon Kirst was through the root. I mean, he was the freak and it was just so fantastic. When we did the Jersey unveiling a couple weeks ago, the people that saw Javon curse there still went nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He still has that kind of impact. And that stop was so crazy because we were there over three hours. Whoa. And then uh, we went downtown. Well, actually, a little off downtown by the river to eat. And we were really excited. Javon was with us. Steve McNair went back home. He was he had been with us. Javon was replacing him. And so Javon went to dinner with us. We're just getting salads or something. We're just starting the meal, and in walks T. Martin. (laughs) Well, T. Martin's the national champion winning quarterback at the University of Tennessee. And T. Martin had played against Javon Kurse that year. And it's like, wow, T. Martin is here. This is unbelievable. So he walks in, and he speaks to Javon, and Javon very politely says, you know, I, I think I'm going to leave with T. Martin. We're going to go do something. And so these two guys are walking out, and I don't even know if they got approached, because people were so stunned to see <laughs> this UT celebrity and this NFL celebrity and a Vol and a gator together, and it was just crazy. But uh, that was a we got done with dinner that night about eleven thirty.
2: You, you couldn't get Peyton Manning to show up uh, for that. He stop. was already gone. Yeah. <laughs> he was doing the Colts caravan. Yeah, All that's right, some star power for sure. All
0: right, let's talk a little draft here. Um, mock drafts turned out to be pretty close
2: most of them a lot of people had Rashawn Evans uh, you know people that had Rashawn uh, Rashawn Evans and Harold Landry going to the Titans both of them could say they got it right now, Landry obviously went a lot later than people thought but uh if you had if you had Harold Landry going to the Titans technically you got it you know, you roll the money.
1: That's cheating. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, no, no. I'm not giving you that. Everybody gets so possessive and crazy over their mock drafts. If you had Harold Landry going to the Titans in the first round, you do not win. I don't count that. Uh uh-uh.
0: uh. What about the people who had the Titans picking guards and tight ends? Womp, womp.
2: Yeah, that's not a good look, and it's not a good look if people have, like, Sam Hubbard uh, going to the Titans at 25, and he ends up going, what, 78? Uh, yes, third those, round. Yeah, those are the ones uh, where you have guys mocked, and then they go, not only they don't go to your team, but they go a couple of days later.
0: The one that got me that I thought might go there might have been Isaiah Wynn from Georgia, who went the next pick to New England, because he can also play tackle, and, and he is a talented guy. He'll be a good player for the Patriots, but you know, Daniels and Ragnow and some of the other guys who ended up going. I just didn't see that because the Titans have signed four guards in this offseason.
2: Yeah, I I didn't either. I I mean, if I'm going to give one guy credit for a mock, it's Mike Mayock because he does one mock each year. He did one, uh, you know, the day of, and he had the Titans taking Rashawn Evans. So uh, he, he didn't jump around like some of the other people who covered their uh, bases by picking multiple guys. Now, he didn't go at 25, so I guess no one technically got it right. He goes 22, uh, goes earlier. Titans have still never picked 25th.
1: Whoa, you're right.
2: 59 drafts, they've still
0: never picked 25th. They were scheduled to do so, but they did not do so. How surprised were the two of you after the weekend that John Robinson traded up three
1: times? I was, su- uh, I was surprised when he did it the last time. The first, two, yeah, the first two didn't really surprise me. That felt. Oh, I was convinced he was trading up in the first round. We left the media area to go down to the field to meet the pick seven or eight picks before 25. Wow, you're good. Well, because we were just like, oh, I just have a feeling. So Ashley Farrell and I kind of looked at each other and we we're like, mm, maybe we should head down. So we start walking down to the field. The second that we get to a place where we can sit and wait – I look up at the big screens, and I was like, that's Brian Arakpo. I bet you John just traded, and sure enough, he had. So we we intuited that one, but the last one surprised me.
2: I, I, if somebody would, would, t- would have told me that and would have walked away with only four picks, I would have been – I would say I, I, it came as a surprise to me, but uh, also a huge surprise you got Evans and Landry both. I mean, it's worth it, I, I think, the way this roster – is built. They didn't necessarily need six, seven picks. Didn't need guys battling for the back end of the roster spots. They needed guys that could come in and contribute uh, immediately, and that's what you get in Evans and Landry.
0: I don't know that I'm surprised now that I think about it that he traded up three times based on the fact that I just think John Robinson is going to do whatever he needs to do to be successful, and that's trading down, trading up, trading the first pick. I, I mean, I don't I don't think he cares. He's made 13 trades now since he's been the general manager. He's he's looking to get better any way that he can do it, and he's going to use all the resources and all the tools. He's not like the basketball coach who will only play man defense. Right. He'll play man. He'll play zone. He'll press. He doesn't care. Just win.
2: Yeah, and I think he gets bored sometimes, too. You know, <laughs> he's like a trade. Yeah, we've been sitting around it's here just... long enough. <laughs>
0: He just gets bored. (laughs) I like that. Another addition to the Titans, Dave McGinnis is back on Titans Radio as our game day analyst. But also part of what we do here. As a matter of fact, last week, uh, Coach Mack did a a brunch for season ticket members on the day of the draft. He did draft coverage with us. He certainly is going to be part of the podcast. Amy, I would imagine he'll be doing things with you for – for video content, I'm sure he'll end up on our television programming. Uh, Dave McGinnis is a wealth of knowledge and can really help us in so many different ways here. Exciting to have him back.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm just so excited that he's back. Kind of sounds like the uh, relative that won't leave the house with all of the <laughs> things that we're going to have him on. But gosh, I mean, he is just such an amazing resource for us. He's absolutely hilarious. And one of the most knowledgeable people in terms of football and every aspect of this business in this game, so uh, I'm just tickled to have him back. And Coach Mac sits there and helps me a lot throughout the year, kind of learn. Well, you new watch things. film. We, I watch film with Coach Mac, which is legitimately the most stressful thing that I do Why? every single week because he yells a lot. Coach Mac does not hold back when we are watching film. He goes in. And he'll teach you something. And if you don't remember it or you don't identify it from week to week.
0: Oh, he's yelling at you. He's
1: yelling at me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I get yelled at for everything. And not using the little clicker right. I get yelled at if I don't remember a coverage that we've talked about from a previous week. It is serious business. A lot of times if we stay late, we'll go out to dinner afterwards because I'm, like, exhausted. (laughs) It's like, you can't drive home yet. Let's go get something to eat.
2: Or feels bad for yelling at you, so he feels like he has to treat. I haven't cried yet, yet but <laughs>
1: it uh, it gets really intense. I mean, it is a way to learn. My ears are smoking because my brain has just been turning for a couple hours.
2: It's a great guy. I mean, he's uh, you know certainly well liked here, as you mentioned, well liked across the league. You know, not only with with fans, but uh, but got, you know people in the media that have dealt with him in the past. Uh, you know, he's a, a great resource to have around the building. Anybody who's in the building uh, when he made that. Uh, pep talk, I guess, before the Chiefs playoff game uh, in Kansas City remembers that. Still, I still hear about uh, that from people on Twitter who were there that night. That was pretty amazing. Yes, it was. Yes, it was.
0: Well, I had a chance to talk with Coach Mack about the draft, and as we start this, I've asked him about the, the things that went on through the three days that surprised him, and he reminded me about some of the topics and some of the questions we laid out before the draft started. You asked about the number of quarterbacks
3: that would be taken in the first round. We both said five. That's exactly what was taken. And we knew that the number of quarterbacks would move people down in the draft. And as soon as the Jets took Baker Mayfield, the whole draft process started flipping. It really did. Because most people had Sam Darnold pointed there, and then as you could see the way, it, and then of course, clearly once they, Cleveland came in there and, and they 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 went past Bradley Chubb and took Denzel Ward, then that even caused more movement in that first round. That's the one thing I saw. The number of receivers that did not go in the first round is something that, that we both thought might happen. You know, I made a statement earlier on, not because I know everything, but just looking at the players, that there would be more running backs taken in the first round than there were wide receivers looked at that, and then the number of quality offensive linemen that went later on in the rounds. We talked about there being quality at all positions from round two through round six, and there were. You saw some real contributing players that were taken there, but I felt like the meat of this draft was in those part of the rounds. There were several elite players. There there weren't 32 elite players, and so that always makes for a very interesting draft.
0: Intel is such a big thing for everybody involved with the draft, including those of us who follow it. You have incredible intel because of your connections. And when the Titans drafted Arizona safety Dane Cruikshank, you turned to somebody you know well to get intel on this player. And it's somebody we know well, too, Chuck Cecil a former Arizona safety who's back with that program. Yeah, absolutely.
3: As soon as they drafted him, you and I were sitting together, and I said, I'm going to make this phone call. Chuck is their senior defensive analyst down there. He worked for Rich Rodriguez last year. He's on Kevin Sumlin's staff this year. And so what I did was just call him immediately. I said, Mike. Let's talk to Chuck. And of course, Chuck got right back to us. He really likes this player a lot. The first question I asked him, I said, Chuck, if you were coaching the secondary in the league, you know, which he did for 15 years, would you want this player? And he said, absolutely. He said, it's a great pick. He said it's a great. It would have been a great pick even a couple of rounds before that. He talked about the kid's the physical nature. He's a tremendous athlete. And the one thing he said to me, he said, Coach Mack, the kid wants to be coached and he wants to be a good player. And so I mean, as soon I mean, who better to reach out for than somebody that was right there about a defensive back at Arizona than their Hall of Famer, a college football Hall of Famer,
0: an All Pro safety in this league. Chuck Cecil. That's good intel, no doubt. All right, I want you to give me the NFL mindset on something. The Titans have Marcus Mariota at quarterback. They signed Blaine Gabbert to back him up. They have Tyler Ferguson, who was in camp with him last year. Why draft Luke Falk in the sixth round? What is the NFL mindset behind making a pick of a quarterback late in the draft when you already have four on the roster? Well, Luke Falk was a a player that
3: that everybody in this this draft that did quarterbacks that looked at thought really had a huge upside to him. This guy's a very accurate guy. This guy is a field general. This guy can – and I know, you know, he was drafted 199 – Of course, people already start with the Tom Brady comparisons. Let's put that way to the side for a minute. But this guy has got a chance to come in here and develop. And especially, Mike, I think it's extremely important that they have Matt LaFleur here now running this offense. This offense is a very quarterback-friendly offense. Matt Lafleur is, has, has, is coming up and one of the best young quarterback developers in this league and, and a new offensive coordinator. And I just felt like that they really wanted somebody they could bring in, let him sit for a while, let him learn on a very good football team, and then you may have something after a couple of years.
0: Undrafteds. Titans were very attractive to undrafteds overall. Did a a fantastic job bringing in a huge crop. Is that because they're the Titans and they're a playoff team? Is that because they only drafted four guys? Or is it a combination
3: of both? Well, it's a combination of both. And I've been in many of those post-draft rooms as to where now it's a mad scramble to get these free agents. And you and I talked during the draft about the fact that what they started to do, you start to call, have your coaches, have your scouts start calling these players, you know, around the fifth round, fourth or fifth round. You know, not saying you won't be drafted, just saying if you are, good luck. We still, you know, we're still looking at you. They've developed these relationships throughout the entire pre-draft process throughout the entire scouting process relationships are extremely important in this i relate a story to you about you know one of my former Uh, coaches, you know, that that I had that had a player at Texas Tech out in West Texas where I still got a lot of connections. You know, we we got the player just because of that connection. Connections are important. The type of player is very important, but the fact that they only had four draft picks, they can honestly tell the agents. They can tell the agents because you know it's like recruiting. They can tell the agents here's who we drafted Here's what our roster looks like. He comes in here, he has a chance because I, you know and I know, Mike, undrafted players are extremely important because there are a lot of undrafted players playing
0: very well in this league right now and making a really good salary. One of the undrafteds you could certainly see making it from the group of edge pass rushers they're bringing in, in this undrafted class. There's that possibility. No, absolutely. And
3: there's going to be an undrafted player that we bring in. I'll say that right now as you and I are sitting here looking at this you know, before OTAs even start, that's going to be somebody we're looking at at that last cut going, you know what? It's going to really be hard to let this guy go. He might can help us. And then, plus, you've got 10 practice squad positions at the end of this whole thing, once the roster is set, some
0: of these guys are going to still be here then, I promise you. Akram Wadley, running back from Iowa, electric player, doesn't feel like an every down back, but feels like a guy who could be in a running back core. The Titans are going to play more than one running back. They're looking for versatility. This is a player that Titan fans are excited about, and it seems like with good reason. No, there's very good reason, and he fits right into that
3: category because as we start to go through the OTA process, then we start to go through training camp, and you start to go through the preseason, keep your eye on Akron Wadley, and there's going to be other of those players that they have signed as undrafted free agents that are going to make a difference at that final cut, Mike. I've just seen it for 30-plus years happen. It happens every year. It's going to happen here again this year. Dave McGinnis, what is your final takeaway from draft weekend for the Tennessee Titans? I told John Robinson yesterday in the hallway, it's one thing to evaluate players in the draft process. It's another thing to arrange your board in the draft process. But the final piece to that puzzle, if you – You can have all of that information, and if you don't have somebody in charge that understands how to work the draft, that understands the way the National Football League works during draft day, that doesn't understand what the total big picture is and has a feel for everything going on in the league as it relates to your team and as it relates to that draft board and as it relates to your time on the clock, the two moves that he made to go up and get – Two guys that we had talked about, our fans have talked about, that pundits had talked about, but that real football people knew were very, very good, and I'll say even better than good, defensive football players that fit not only on any team, but really fit this team as far as to what they were looking for in this draft. The way he worked this draft board and the way he worked this draft process, it impressed me. That's my takeaway is – Everybody that's associated with the Tennessee Titans, our fans, every, of course, everybody in this building, and I promise you, around the league, because I have a lot of league connections, they know that John Robinson is one of
0: the best young general managers in this business. Good stuff from Dave McGinnis with us. Again, he'll be back with us on Titans Radio this year. Amy Wells, Jim White, thanks so much for being with us. Enjoyed it. Absolutely. The official Titans podcast, OTP 10 in the books. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your day.